And my name is Matt. Welcome to New City. How are we doing today? And I uh, wanted, we wanted to share a little bit of our story and our journey. Um, whether you think it's great or not great, like I just have this little principle that the leader goes first, right? And how can I ask you to do something that I've not first done or am trying to do? And uh, that's, this is a journey that we've been on for two years, this idea of not working on a specific day. For our family, it's Saturday, right? And uh, a lot of you have said, well, do I have to do Saturday? Well, I don't make you do anything. My job is not to give spiritual wedgies. My job is to point you back to the scriptures. If you can take a day off on Saturday, I think that's the best day to do it. But if your time and your schedule doesn't allow it, start with a day that you give to the Lord. Week one, we talked about the priority of Sabbath and how important it is to God. We talked about, uh, you know, it's on the Ten Commandments. And even if you don't know all the Ten Commandments, you know most of them. Like you've heard that one that says, thou shalt not murder, right? And I know that if I was out killing people, that one of you are going to put your arm around me and you're going to love me enough to say, hey, Matt, you really need to cut that out, Right? I would hope you would, right? Or if I was uh, in, in, having adultery, someone's going to say, hey, you can't do that. Well, right there in the middle of those Ten Commandments is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But yet we just white out that one. And we do our best to observe, and you expect me to observe the Nine Commandments, but no one's ever held me accountable to the fact in my entire Christian life that I'm taking a day off and giving it to the Lord. Week two, we talked about the rhythm of Sabbath, and we looked at the life of Jesus. And I gave you this question on the back end of it. The question that I ended with was, how might Jesus minister to you when you meet with him on one day a week? Because all the stories that I gave you, the five examples of Jesus' uh, Sabbath encounters, where Jesus drastically changes a person's life through healing. And I know some of you, you come in and your heart's broken, your mind is, is struggling, you're stressed out, you're give out, you're mostly wiped. Well, how might Jesus begin to heal your life when you just meet with him one day a week? I think you might be really impressed on how he stretches out your days. One of the things that my wife talked about there in the video. Today we're going to talk about how do you actually fill your Sabbath? What do you do on your Sabbath? That's the question that I've gotten the most. Well, what am I allowed to do? What am I not, what am I not supposed to do, right? Like, what? And so today I want to give you that uh, as best I can. But I want to start in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 58. So it's going to be on the screens. It's also in your insert. And uh, I want us to read this. This is an if-then. The Bible is full of if-then, right? Like you tell your kids or someone once told you, if you eat all your dinner, then you get what? Dessert. Now, most kids just want dessert without having to eat that yucky food you cooked, right? But as parents, we say, no, 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 no. You eat this and then you get dessert. The Bible is full of if-then kind of statements where God says, if you do this, then I will. And this is one of these, and it's beautiful. Notice what he says. Look at the ifs. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath the delight in the Lord's holy day, and I'm sorry, if you call the Sabbath a delight in the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, notice the then. Then you will find joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now that language may confuse you. I will cause you to ride in triumph. Triumph is a good word. Does triumph sound like winning or losing? Winning's a good thing, right? So God is going to cause you to ride high on winning. And what about that word feast? Does feast sound like being fulfilled or starving? Yeah, right? So it's this idea of prosperity in your life. Now, this is what's fantastic to me. This is Old Testament God. This is not New Testament Jesus, okay? And here you have this Old Testament God that commands his people that if you will take a day off, 
I'm going to bless the snot out of you. Matt Miller translation. That if you will take a day off, I'm going to bless you and make you successful in all of you. Isn't that so opposite to what we often think about God? Because we sometimes think about God the way we think about our employer. Doesn't your employer only give you the bonuses and the extra pay raise and the promotion if you work overtime, if you go the extra mile, the extra effort? If you do those things, then sure, you get moved up the ladder. Sure, you don't. Get, but in God's economy, he says, if I want you to take a day off and I want you to rest in me. Well, that's not how we, it doesn't make any sense, right? In our world, it's that person who grabs you by the shoulders, right there on your traps and just squeezes and says, I need more from you. I need more from you. I need you to work harder, be here earlier, stay later, go, go, go. But yeah, that's not our God. In Isaiah 58, our God massages you. Oh yeah, hey baby, take a day off. Rest in me. Come to me, all you who are weary, Jesus says, and heavy burden, I will give you rest for your souls. Man, why do we run from this God? I mean, think about this. Why are you at arm's length right now with following God any closer? Why are you afraid of him? Why are you worried what he's going to... This God of ours says, I want you to take a day off, and because you do that, I'm going to bless the snot out of you. How wonderful. What a great God that we have the opportunity to serve. And some of us just need to repent this morning of the attributes that we put on God that are simply not there. He is not mean. He is not hateful. He is not out to get you. He is there to lift up those of us who are following him as best we can and to honor you and honor your life. I had lunch this past week with one of our members, and um, he, he's been just doing a great job at his workplace, just a great job. He's, a, he's kind of the, the manager of this, this, uh, this uh, operation in town, and, and he, he's had all of this good success, and not one person from the up, up the ladder has encouraged him. Like, there's been no attaboys. There's been, like, it's drastically different than what he inherited. And he's not getting one, there you go. And we had lunch at McDonald's, and he was just venting and just upset about it. But yet how he was still going to work for the Lord, and that's why I was encouraging him. Man, you just keep doing the right thing. And, man, and God sees and God knows. And he sent me an email this week saying, man, I'm so grateful that we had that lunch and we prayed and we talked because look at this email. And he sent me a screen picture of an email that he got from his boss that was just bragging on the 89% increase of sales and all of these things that his boss has acknowledged and told this guy, good job. Man, I want to hear this. What I want you to hear from me this morning is this is my effort of God telling you guys when you choose to Sabbath, good job. He's not asking more of you. He's asking you simply to observe him. I want to give you four things today that I think could be a great frame for how you Sabbath. And how you fill this in is going to be up to you, but I want to give you four things. Only one of them is a clear must, okay? Now, I think all of them are great and perfect, and you should do your best to observe them. But one of them is the only one that I would say you have to do. So let's jump in. Four Sabbath focus points. Are you ready? Number one, when you choose to Sabbath, when you choose to give God a day, it needs to have an official, it should have, you could have an official start time. Anybody watch KU beat Baylor yesterday? Right? How did that game start? How did we know that game had begun? Tip off. Thank you, Stanton. When that referee throws the ball in the air, the two big tall guys jump and hit it, that's when we know the game has started. How do you acknowledge the start of your Sabbath? Like there needs to be something that clicks in your head. Okay, this is not practice. This is not layups. These are not drills. It's game time, game phase. And so how do we have an official start time on how you choose to Sabbath? For much of my uh, Sabbath observance, it's been Saturday morning. 
right? Jen and I are in this transition. We begin to observe it starting Friday at our, the dinner that we have together as a family. It's a brand new transition in our family. It's getting something we're getting used to. But it's this idea, what I'm encouraging you is that you view this day that you set aside as something special and as something different. It's not just another day of the week. And you set the mood for that. Anybody take their special someone out for Valentine's Day? Come on, raise them high. Who did that? Who spent some money, right? Man, nobody did. That's fantastic. Wow, I'm so, I'm blown away. I'm guessing those of you who took your, uh, your, your special person out, I'm guessing you didn't take them to McDonald's. I'm probably, especially if you're like wanting this girl to like you, you probably made reservations somewhere, right? Now, once you get her, you kind of, yeah, Taco Bell's good. We'll do whatever, right? But for, if you think back on the early days of dating, right, we, we make it special. We set it apart. And by the way, girls that are not dating or that are dating and not married yet, if that, that guy better treat you great or he's not the one. Sorry, man. I'm just raising the bar for you, all right? Anyway, let's back to this. Another message for another time. But there's an official start time. That's the first thing that I would encourage you. Number two. Now, number two here is the whole reason I wanted to do this series. Third week, point number two, is why I have been so excited to do this series. Here is the second thing that I want to encourage you to do when you observe your Sabbath. A good meal with a special blessing. Now, I'm not going to tell you what a good meal is, right? Pastor Curtis, our worship leader here at New City Church, a good meal for Curtis, like he likes those flavored Vienna sausages. I ain't doing that, right? That's not a good meal for me. Now, my dad, Jimmy Miller, my dad's good meal is a piece of bologna cut about that thick. And you can fry it or he'll eat it raw. It doesn't matter. But to my dad, that's a good meal. My dad loves thick cut bologna. I think that's disgusting, right? <laughs> if you see me eating a bologna sandwich, know that I'm just one step away from starving, all right? That's not, for me, like, I, it's something different, right? And I'm not going to tell you what mine is because it doesn't matter. But like when you have an official start time that I'm going to kick off my Sabbath with a good meal. And it's going to be something that may be a special, something that, I'd always, that I don't get all week long. And it's just something. This week on Friday night was the first time that we kind of did this on a Friday. Like I said, it's brand new for us because we always do a big breakfast on Saturday morning to kind of kick off our Sabbath. But we, went, we draw, drove to a Lawrence this week, and we went and ate at the Ramen Bow, which is just a really good noodle place. I just love it. And it was a special meal. It was really, really yummy, right? And we have this second piece here, a good meal with a special blessing. And this is the thing. The good meal is not the thing. The special blessing is what I've been looking forward to for this whole series. Because this is something that Jesus would have experienced his entire childhood, where his father Joseph and his mother Mary would have been blessing the Son of God with verbal words that other people could hear. And this is an opportunity for us moms and us dads in the room to begin to speak truth into our kids' lives and to point them to a certain direction. Think of us in the room who are adults, which are most of us here today. Think about what it would have been like if one day a week your mom or your dad or the person who has raised you were to speak love and truth over your life and it wasn't a time to correct you for your bad behavior or to speak about how your grades weren't high enough, but they were to simply come and lay their hands on your shoulder, on your head and simply say, I bless this child and you call them towards something. Dads and moms, I want to paint a picture for the future on this. Think about how your kids could grow up in a home where mom and dad, it's not about not discipline. I discipline my kids, right? I coach my kids. I lead my children, whatever language you want to use. But man, there is something to be said about out loud praising your child very specifically and not how all you did really good in that. No, no. Praising and encouraging your kid, blessing your child very specifically. How this could change the unity in your home. Because you know where it starts? 
not with the children, but with the spouse. Now, I know this gets a little different for some of us because some of us aren't married. Some of us are, uh, are, are, have not yet been married. Some of us are no longer married. Some of us are too young to be married. And so like, well, Matt, what does this mean? Well, we got to get kind of figured out on your, where you are in life, right? Some of you, you play both the mom and the dad in your, rela- in, in your home because you're a single parent and you have to play both roles. And that's okay, right? But for, for those who this works, I gave a second insert this morning. It's a little bit heavier, okay? And this could be something that you could, um, until you are in, until you have a husband, a wife, until you have children, this could be something that you could take and modify and use it as a time to bless your friends, right? Did you know that your friends need to be encouraged? Did you know that? And did you know that you're maybe your sister or somebody that you're taking care of or your brother, they need to be encouraged. So like, don't like pigeonhole this and to say, oh, this only takes place on these three contexts. Get creative with it. But what I do want you to hear is this isn't something that I wrote up for you this week. What I'm going to share with you now is something that has been done for generations, for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years over the littlest hikes who have grown up in the faith. Did the Jewish people do this for their kids? Absolutely. But also the first church did it. So when you think of Peter and James and John and the people that they discipled and led to the Lord, all of these first church would have had a time of blessing at the Sabbath dinner of their kids and of their spouse. Think of it this way. Imagine when you sit down to eat. Now listen, I did this Friday night and it was a horrible train wreck. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just telling you, like, you're going to go after this. And I know I expected the heavens to open and you hear angels, you know, oh, Matt's so spiritual, right? None of that happened, right? My kids were ready to eat their food. I didn't feel like anybody cared. I was expecting Jen to weep at my love for her. And she's like, we're ready. We're ready. Come on. Right. And so I tell you that to give you permission to fail forward. Like, think about the things in your life that you're pretty good at now that you want stuck at. Like, I'm sure the first time you told your wife or husband that you loved him, you might have been a bubbling, a babbling fool. Can't get it out, right? And, and maybe the first date was a train wreck. The first time you tried to ride a bike, you probably fell over and hit your head on the concrete. That's why people have to be sissies now and wear helmets. All of these things, right? We start, we start, I know, I'm, I'm old, older. Um, but we, we start out with things that we're not very good in. But over time and practice, we become efficient in it and proficient in it. And so with this, I'm just giving you permission to fail. And I'm giving you permission to be completely awkward. And I'm giving you permission to simply say, wow, I didn't, that didn't go near what I thought it was. That's fine. That's fine. That's how we get there, right? Here's something else I want to say to those of you in the room. I want to uh, kind of give you, and please hear the, the, the joke in this or the fun in this. I want to give you the directive that you must do this this week. Because one of the most intimidating things for me, a pastor right? Who's paid to do this. One of the most intimidating things that I have to press through all the time is praying with my wife and children. I don't know why, but it's intimidating. And there have been times when I feel like I need to, and I haven't because I'm, I'm afraid. And I've just simply not had the courage to say, hey, can I pray for you in this? It's easier to pray for you sometimes than it is for me to pray for my wife and kids. And I have to step into that, in that awkward space going, okay, I may say something stupid, but I just want to pray for my children and my wife in this situation, all right? And so that's why I'm telling you, I want you I want to force you to do this this week so that you can say to your wife, listen, I'm going to mess this up, but Matt said I had to. And for the wife to say, listen, I'm going to make the mess of this, but Matt said I had to do it. I'm just going to take the awkwardness off the table, and you get to look silly because Pastor Matt said to do it, right? And so you don't have to sit there and go, well, I wonder if she wants me to, or I wonder if I should. No, 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 Matt's making me do this, right? So Matt's going to make me look silly. Matt's going to make me look awkward, and I'm just going to do this because Matt gave me a piece of paper, and he expects it, and he told me that Jesus is watching, right? And if I don't do it, I will get in trouble, all right? But imagine this. 
Imagine um, the unity of your marriage. If you were to look across the table to your wife, or maybe you sit beside your wife when you eat dinner, I don't know. Maybe you don't even eat dinner as a family, but what would it look like if you had dinner as a family one night a week and you looked across the table into your bride's eyes or you held her hand and you simply prayed Scripture over her? Proverbs 31, for centuries, men have spoken to the one that they love. Hear these words. Proverbs 31, a good woman is hard to find and worth far more than diamonds. Her husband trusts her without reserve and never has reason to regret it. Never spiteful, she treats him generously all her life long. She shops around for the best yarns and cottons and enjoys knitting and sewing. She's like a trading ship that sails to faraway places and brings back exotic surprises. She's up before dawn preparing breakfast for her family and organizing her day. She looks over the field and buys it. Then, with the money she's put aside, plants a garden. First thing in the morning, she dresses for work, rolls up her sleeves, eager to get started. She senses the worth of her work and is in no hurry to call it quits for the day. She's skilled in the crafts of home and hearth, diligent in homemaking. She's quick to assist anyone in need, reaches out to help the poor. She doesn't worry about her family when it snows. Their winter clothes are all mended and ready to wear. She makes her own clothing and dresses in colorful linens and silks. Her husband is greatly respected when he deliberates with the city fathers. She designs gowns and sells them, brings the sweaters she knits to the dress shops. Her clothes are well made and elegant, and she always faces tomorrow with a smile. When she speaks, she has something worthwhile to say, and, she's always, and she always says it kindly. She keeps an eye on everyone in her household and keeps them all busy and productive. Her children respect and bless her. Her husband joins in with words of praise. Many women have done wonderful things, but oh, baby, you've outclassed them all. Charm can mislead and beauty soon fades. The woman to be admired and praised is the woman who lives in the fear of God. Give her everything she deserves. Fill her life with praises. Now that's a lot to read. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick a section every week that I'm going to read to my wife in front of my children. And even if we've had a bad day, right? This is not conditional upon behavior or on attitude or how I feel. I'm speaking this truth over my wife, and it holds me accountable as well as a father. How might your marriage look different for those of you in that context if we were to do this just simply one day a week? Let's turn it over because some of us have children in the room right? And how might we bless our children? How many of you guys have little girls, have daughters? And even if they're on their own, right? Even if they're adults, right? But you have, you have daughters. So this is the prayer that has been prayed over daughters since forever and a day, okay? And here is my encouragement to you. Standing next to your daughter or having her come to you, hold her hand or some form of touching. You may have to call your daughter on the phone and say, hey, babe, can I, t- can I, can I read this to you today? She might be 37. She may need to hear her daddy or mommy's voice this week. But standing next to her, you would say, May God make you like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. May God bless you and guard you. May the light of God shine upon you and may God be gracious to you. May the presence of God be with you and give you peace. And then maybe leaning over into her ear, tell her, Hey, and I noticed this week that you did really good on your extra math homework and your scores are going up and I'm really proud of you. That's it right? Now, this morning at the 930, my daughter Allie was in here. I didn't bring her up here because it would embarrass her, but I read that to her as she was sitting there. And you know what she did when I got finished? You want to guess? You think she frowned or cried or you think she smiled? She smiled because daddy affirmed her. Man, our words are so important. Our words are so powerful. 
When we bless our daughters in the name of Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, we're blessing our daughters in the spirit of the, the matriarchs of our faith. For Sarah was Abraham's wife, Rebecca was Isaac's wife, and Jacob really lucked out. He had two, Rachel and Leah. And if you're like, well, that's curious, well, you can read, right? And what's probably going to happen, dads and moms, when you do this, is that one of your kids is going to go, well, who was Leah or who was Rebecca? And you may go, uh, Matt didn't tell me that. Um, <laughs> but good for you. You have a Sabbath day where the only thing you have to do is read about Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. And you can read because you're going to do it again the next week, right? You don't have to be perfect. We're getting a tradition going that happens around the table where we continually bless our kids. I'll give you one insight. It's kind of fun. Rachel, for example, Rachel married Isaac. She was known as a rose among thorns because she lived in a culture that was really crazy. And it was a culture that didn't honor God. But yet, like as a thorn scratches the rose petal, makes that rose smell even more beautiful, her beauty shone, her integrity shone in a time where that, those type of things weren't highlighted by the culture. Now, I'm not being judgmental, right? And I'm not trying to make someone mad. But I'm just going to use a relevant... And I, if I misspeak here, please show me grace. But if you have to choose between your daughters being influenced by Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, or Lady Gaga, who do you want? I have nothing against, like, Lady Gaga. But um, I'm calling my daughters to something different. They can listen and enjoy to Lady Gaga's music. I just don't want them to dress like her. And I want, to, I want my daughters to grow up knowing that they get to decide if they're going to honor God with their lives or not. Like, if you're honoring God, you're not, like, super special. It's like, not like you have special powers and the guy beside you doesn't. It's that you read God's Word and you say, you know what, I'm going to step into it. I'm going to obey what God says. And I want to lift up these biblical women to my daughters and say, listen, you get to be like this. And you can even add to your list if you want to. Mary, the mother of Jesus. And you can even add Jesus to that list because Jesus is the one who all of us fix our eyes on and choose to be like. But it's this idea that I'm going to bless you to be like these women and be a rose among the thorns. Don't be like the thorns. You be the rose and let your life be such a beautiful smell to the world in which we live. Let's talk about our sons. Man, I love my boy Luke. How many of you guys have sons? All right. Man, he, 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 he's, you know, the boys are fun. Standing next to your son or having him come to you, place your hand on his shoulder or some form of touching. Right? The older he gets, the weirder it may get. Right? Dad, stop. Right? Dad, quit. Maybe it's a fist bump. Right? I don't know. But son, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. May God bless you and guard you. May the light of God shine upon you and may God be gracious to you. May the presence of God be with you and give you peace. Why Ephraim and why Manasseh? Why those two? All right, those two boys were the sons of Joseph. There were the two sons of Joseph that Joseph had while he was in Egypt. And all of a sudden you have this great family reunion where Jacob, Joseph's dad, realizes that Joseph is still alive and his whole family moves to Egypt, right, to be with Joseph, who is second in command over all of Egypt. And he has these two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh. Let's look in Genesis 48 for this encounter. Now, as this is a Jacob speaking. Now as for your two sons, Jacob also was known as Israel. God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Now as for your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, they will be mine. 
So he's changing the birth order of this. He is taking his two grandsons, and he's going to give them an equal share of his own inheritance. And, and he's the one that's going to divide the land later. And he's taking these two guys that aren't his sons, and he's making them his boys. Uh, they will be mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine just as Reuben and Simon are. Any children that you father after them will be yours. Why did he pick these two? Like, why did he select these two boys to have such a rich inheritance, both physically and what it stood for spiritually? We're going to get to that in just a moment. Verse 9 of 48. Then Israel, Jacob said, bring them to me so that I may bless them. This idea of blessing children is very, very biblical. He says, bring the boys to me. I'm going to bless him. Joseph brings the kids to him, puts them before Jacob. And this is what Jacob says. May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life along to this day, the angel who has protected me from all harm, bless these boys. May my name be named in them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. May they grow into a multitude on the earth. And that was their blessing. Did a little research about the why that this took place. If you want to turn your insert over, I've included it there and also on the screens. Rabbi Kogan says this, Perhaps one might say that the highlight of their character is their remarkable upbringing. They were born and raised in Egypt in a profoundly secular society, a place where the people were not of high character, yet they remained faithful to their morals and ideas that were espoused by their grandfather Jacob as they were transmitted through their father Joseph. To be great amongst great people is also a challenge, but to maintain a high level of spirituality and character amongst a society that is devoid of morals and ethics is the real test. This is why Jacob chose these two boys to be his own. They were able to prove true strength of character. How does one know if a fish is healthy? If he can swim upstream against the tide of society. This is what we wish for our children. We would love to forever protect them in our loving, nurturing environment. However, that is unusually, or usually not possible, nor should it be. There will be times in their lives when the beliefs and morals that we raise them with will be challenged by their peers, society, or environment. Be like Manasseh and Ephraim. We bless and tell them. Have the strength to be able to withstand the pressures of society and to do the right thing. That's the kind of boy that we, that I and encourage you to raise. And that is work, folks, right? That is an investment into our kids. What would it look like if you just begin to step into that awkward space and, yeah, we're going to have a good meal, but guys, don't get sidetracked by the inch-thick baloney. Focus on this. I'm about to speak into your life because you're my kid. Number three. Number three is a must, okay? Number three is the must. And number three is simply no work. I hope you have a start time, and I would just love it if you join me and Jen on our journey to have a good dinner and bless our kids publicly. But man, you can't find the biblical context where God gives you an out to work on your day of Sabbath. No work. Here's my little saying. Lord, I'm not, and I put a blank there, you can fill it in. I'm not doing whatever it is on purpose. I'm choosing to worship by not working. Like it's an act of worship. And if you don't believe me, for those of you who have yet to try it, try it. You're going to be blown away by how important you think you are. How the world is not going to continue to rotate. Or if you're Kyrie Irving, Irving wiggle because it's flat, right? He, he said the world's flat this week. Anyway, so like it's amazing how you, we think everything depends upon us. And that if I stop doing this, this is just going to fall apart. And if I don't do this, it's just going to stop. And if I do this, it's just not, well, how, how could it be? And all of, a sudden we're like the, all of a sudden we begin to think that we're some kind of savior, some Jesus complex, that, man, if I weren't to do this thing today, then the whole organization would fall apart and nobody has the capability to think about their life. No, it's an act of worship to stop and to realize that it doesn't depend on you. 
God gives you six days to go after it. And he says, one day I want you to stop and simply acknowledge me. And that's the fourth thing. And this is not the must, but it's about as close to a must as you can get. Strongly encourage you to have time for reading scripture and prayer. Don't fill your day with so many fun things that you don't have time to read God's word and pray and study. That's the whole point of it, is that you have a day to sit with the Lord and allow him to speak into your life, for him to love you, for him to heal you, for him to care for you, for you to grow in your knowledge of who he is and what he says. Man, you get one day a week where nothing should be in the way of that. What a beautiful thing. And we model that, guys, going back to number two for our kids. Here, here's the thing, right? And this is why I was so, why I am so passionate about this is that moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas, we got to man up a little bit. And I want you to hear me. Quit giving your authority away. God has positioned you moms. He's positioned us dads. He's positioned you grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles as voices of authority in your kid's life. But we don't say stuff because we don't want to offend or we don't, we're going to afraid we're going to say something stupid. And so we don't say anything. And we let all these other voices in their life parent them and lead them. Like you're letting their friends at school tell your kids who your kids are. Like it bugs me when Luke, even at Kid City, says, Oh, so-and-so said I was stupid today. And I look at my son and I go, what's more important, what he said or what your daddy says? You? Bingo, right answer, buddy. I don't think you're stupid. You're my boy and I love you. You're awesome. And I speak truth into my kids. See, I'm not going to give my authority away. I'm going to speak truth and love and power into my I'm going to tell my daughters how beautiful they are, even when their hair is a mess. Because their hair being combed doesn't make them beautiful. It helps, but it doesn't make them beautiful. <laughs> right? Why are you giving your authority away? Why are you being silent? And why are you not speaking truth into your kid? Why are you waiting for Pastor Matt to do it or some teacher to do it? And I want, I'm going to and they will. But what about you? Why are you being so timid and so afraid to simply say, here is what I say about you because this is what God says about you and I'm going to speak this into your life. Why are you so timid and why are you not doing that? Is it because you're too busy? Oh, well, man, I'd really like to, but I just didn't get around to it. Well, you know, one day a week, you carve out time where you sit around that table with your family and you tell your wife or your husband how much you love them and why you love them. And then you look at those kids. And for those of you who aren't there yet, man, you point your eyes at that. So that's what I'm going to do one day. And until I get that, I'm going to do it with my friends. And when we sit down on my Sabbath and we're having, uh, whether it's BRGR, we're going to praise and encourage one another in the name of the Lord. That's what we're going to do. And I'm not giving away my authority. Guys, Seriously, feel this. Do not give away your authority to the ones that are the most important to you. Stand up for them. Love them. That's how we change the world. We model this always, always, always. And God models it for us. Let's observe it. No more, oh, I'm too busy, I'd want to, I just can't. No, 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 no. Step into this and love your kids the way that the God, God loves us. I'm going to ask uh, the band to come on up, and Curtis, they get a really good, I actually asked them to move this song around, because I thought it was really good, and they're going to wrap up this song with the air I breathe. May this become the air we breathe. I'm inviting you to fail. I'm inviting you to be awkward in this. Just try it. Man, and if you destroy it, what's the worst that can happen? Honestly, what's the worst? Your kids will laugh at you. That's the worst that could happen, right? Your wife will think you're goofy like she used to think you're goofy. Or you'll remind your wife of how goofy she was. It's just step into it and let Jesus be lifted high 
and let him begin to minister to your family. Oh, man, I love to get up here and tell you how I fell. I tried it, though. My kids couldn't tell you one thing I said, guarantee it. But I did it. And you know what? I'm going to do it again this week. And I'm going to do it till I got it memorized and I don't need the piece of paper. And even I got to say, hey, Luke, put the fork down, buddy. Put the fork down. Eyes on dad. I'm trying to speak truth into your life. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do it. Why? Because it matters. And if nothing else, it matters to me. Because you know what? Long road. One day, when I'm old and gray and I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to say, dang it, I gave it my best. And if that little stinker runs his life, it ain't on me. Because I loved him right. And I led him right. And I loved those girls well. And their mama knows. Their mama knows that, man, I love her. Do you see what this does? When you make time to simply honor God, just stepping into it. And he just helps us out. Man, follow us in this. Join us. Let's be awkward together. Lord, we love you. Man, do we love you. May this attitude of rest and Sabbath and following, may it become just who we are as a people. And may what start in awkwardness lead to excellence. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.